Hey, senorita, really nice to meet ya. Have some tequila and this week on Squats and Margaritas, it's world-renowned hypnotherapist Kim Friedmutter, author of Subconscious Power, Use Your Inner Mind to Create the Life You've Always Wanted. I got to be honest, I did not think I was that spiritual of a person. I didn't think I'd be able to quiet my brain enough to go into the trance state that you need to be able to connect with your subconscious. But that is where your life can change. That's where you can tap into all the potential that your life has that you don't even know yet. Your subconscious. I can't wait to talk to her about the lives she's changed. She's helped people to finally quit smoking, lose the weight, get over an ex. She's helped people with diseases that they're dealing with. They're not even on medication anymore, all through hypnotherapy. And I'm so excited to announce that Squats and Margaritas is now brought to you by my favorite water, Flow Alkaline Spring Water. If you're not drinking alkaline water, you should be. Hydration is so important. It makes a difference in everything from your skin to your metabolism. Flow has every flavor you can think of from grapefruit and elderflower to cucumber mint. Go check them out at flowhydration.com and use Squats and Margaritas 20 for 20% off your order. Here's my episode with Kimberly Friedmutter. Hi. I'm so happy that you're here. <laughs> I'm such a fan. Of, if people don't have your book, Subcompowered. I literally just finished it because I was like, oh, there's just like a couple things at the end. And I'm so glad because the end of your book uh, was all about like the balance and wellness. And that's what this podcast is. Um, But the rest of it is just so intriguing. And I'm not the most spiritual person, but you're changing that. (laughs) I am just looking at things so differently. But I wanted to start with just your story, how you went from an actress and model, obviously look at you. To hypnotherapist, like how does one make that shift? Yeah, so it kind of happens to you as many things in life do, right? So (laughs) it's like if you just stay in the flow, which is really what the book is all about, it it ends up being really great because you're not traveling upstream all the time, which can be exhausting as most of us know. But um, I started a radio show on KLSX 97.1 FM in Los Angeles, and that is known as the Howard Stern Station. <laughs> so okay. imagine I'm there with Howard and Tom Likas and all those guys, which, you know, was very intimidating um, as a female, and I had another female co-host. And so I started getting stage fright, and we had so many, I mean, we had millions and millions of listeners, you know what a popular uh, station and show Howard had. And so... In that, I thought, I've got to fix this. Like, I've got to get on it. And consciously, you know, I'm saying to myself, come on, girl, you know, put on your big girl pants, pull up your bootstraps, all the things that we're used to hearing. But really what it was was it was deeper than that. It was in my subconscious, and I had no idea how to get there and fix it. So I engaged with a hypnotherapist, and, um, and, you know, I'm laying there, and I'm like, I don't know, you know, I'm listening to her, and, you know, she's talking, and it's all this. And I thought, I sure hope this works because, like, I'm really trying. And so sure enough, when I went on the air the next time, here's how it played out. I couldn't find the fear. So, and I'm looking for it because I'm always skeptical. I'm always, like, all those things, you know, I'm just always, like, looking for the the thing around the corner. And I thought, I can't find it. Is it going to be, you know, like, later in the show? Is it going to be after the show? Is it going to come? And it wasn't coming. And so then I thought, oh, my gosh, this is like, it literally felt, it's not magic, but it felt like magic. And I love Path of Least Resistance. So I was like, this is for me. So then I tried a few other things. You know how we have all these, like, Mm -hmm. things that are wrong with us? (laughs) And so I thought. I'm going to just try everything, right? And I got all buffed and shiny, and then I thought, I really want to know what work, you know, what that inner working is and what's really happening there. Yeah. What's 
what's moving that needle so profoundly while I feel like I'm going to the therapist and taking a nap. I mean, literally, that's how easy it was. Yeah. So I wanted to get on that. And so I started doing it, and I saw people really metamorphosizing into these beautiful butterflies from these little cocoons of fear and anxiety and upset and PTSD and, and not sleeping and all these things, eating addiction, you know, exercise addiction, shopping addiction, all that. And so anyway, I had to make a career of it. That's unbelievable. So, and when it comes to you and your subconscious, what is the difference between subconscious and unconscious, and are they interchangeable? They're the same, yeah. Okay. I just don't like the term unconscious because I think of, you know, we spend so much time, it had, actually the margarita part of Squats and Margaritas, <laughs> we spend so much time trying to get unconscious, you know. I mean, it, what's the drink for? The drink is to, you know, numb us a little bit so that we can get, like, in the zone and relax, right? We're constantly trying to achieve that state of trance. And what's yeah. so great about, about trance is that it's natural. You don't have to achieve it. You just mm-hmm. go into it. And so, and we actually do many times a day. That's that daydreamy state that we find ourselves in when, you know, come on, get back anyway. in the room. Yeah, that's you, that. Sometimes when I'm driving, it sounds dangerous, but I'll just be, I'm aware, but like, I'll just stop and it's like I come back. That's trans- That's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's trance state. And so you see how natural it is. You look at a beautiful fire pit going and the, the flames are dancing. It's all of that. And we're meant to be in that state. That's If you look, Google the history of hypnosis and all the really notable people who have used it, you know, um, Einstein and Mozart and all these great people wrote in tr- entire orchestras based in trance. I mean, that's where your greatness comes from, your epiphany in your aha moments. Yes, and you use it. You tell people to stop settling for a mediocre life, and when you're in trance in this subconscious state, you really figure out what is meant for you, like what your life can be, and it's maybe something bigger than you've even imagined for yourself, and you don't tap into it until you're in your subconscious trance state, and you bring it out. 100%. 100%. In fact, you know, I'm thinking that you do it when you exercise. So you know how you have to get through, like, that last rep of five or whatever, and you're just like, oh, my God, that zone out point, that's trance. I mean, if you think about how many times a day you do it, you'd be, you'd literally be mesmerized by that. And then can I also say, you know, our phones, our, you know, whatever, anything that you're like attracted to. So oftentimes if people can't really feel their way to, to what hypnosis is or trance, I say mm-hmm. put on a list of paper like five of your main priorities. Like do you like small shiny objects? Do you all these things? Those are your hypnotists. That's what mesmerizes you. That's what got you. You know, we can all say that we watch TV with a, a commercial of a beautiful hamburger, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And so and we were all like, oh, my gosh, I want that hamburger. Uh, yeah, that's the hypnotist. That's got you mesmerized and hypnotized. So it's different for everyone. Um, it's different for everyone. Yeah. I'm sure it's most people go into it skeptical, as you did. Because I'm oh, yeah. way, like, I, I'm a mom. I have two young kids. I, I can never shut my brain off. And I go right. to bed, and I just, I can't shut it off. So I was like, I don't think I could be hypnotized because I, I could never, even meditation. Like, I can't imagine sitting there and not, um, <laughs> like, thinking about something. So I'm sure that's, like, your first obstacle is to get people to even, like, buy in and, what, what do you say? Like go into your um, what do you call it? Go within. Yeah, yeah go, go within, in. and then come back into the room. Like I want to go within, but I don't feel like, especially <laughs> at the time in my life, I can shut off being a mom and all the things to truly tap into my subconscious. And I'm I am skeptical of it. 
So here's the neat thing about it. So with meditation, which I find much more difficult, you're going within as most protocols start. But with meditation, you're actually pushing thoughts at bay. I have a very difficult time with that, admittedly. So with meditation, you're taking in your breath, focus on your breath, pushing your thoughts away. With hypnosis, you don't have to worry about any of that. With hypnosis, you're letting those thoughts come in. We're opening up the gateway. We're, you know, we want to tap into that channel. That's the dial on the radio you want to be in on. That's it because you literally want that information coming. I don't want the life necessarily that I have cut out for myself or as big as my dreams can be. I want bigger and more than that. And on the back of the book, um, well, actually, you listen to it on the audio, but Jennifer Hudson, Martha Stewart, Mike Tyson, all these really, um, you know, influential people in the world, they all have one thing to say, and that is that their life became much bigger and, and their dreams became much, you know, more prolific than they ever thought that they could. So that shows us one thing and one thing only is that let that universe help you. Let that water flow through you so that you can grab the goods because tapping into that, you're going to have a bigger, better life than you yourself could ever even think, no matter how big your dreams are. Because one thing is every superstar I've ever hypnotized in my life has all said the same thing. Their life became bigger than they ever, ever, ever imagined themselves. And so that thing they're tapping into is out there. It's, mm-hmm. it's manifested in here, but it's out there. And so we want that. Yeah. Is, is sleeping a tramp state? Because... Yeah, when you say things come to you in the subconscious, like is that why people say sleep on it? Like you don't, you don't know the answer, and then you go to bed, and then all of a sudden, like I'm up and putting notes on my phone, and so many things come to me when I'm sleeping. Right. And so the subconscious is a worker. So we all have this, you have the little girl inside, you have the little girl subconscious inside of me, men have, of course, the little man subconscious inside of them. And what happens is she or he is a worker and at night loves to do, already working on healing your body, cellular repair, reducing inflammation, all those things that the body does with repair at night, which is why it's so important, as Tom Brady will tell you, nine hours or more. (laughs) I'm a nine hour girl. Yeah, we go to bed at the same time. I'm in bed by nine, lockdown, and then up, up uh, five or six. But what happens is the subconscious wants to work. So if you have problems, questions, quandaries, anything like that, jot them down on a piece of paper, lay them by your bedside. That way you have conscious having written it, subconscious having seen it and felt it, integration, that when you go to sleep, she's in there like working, working, working. Okay, she wants this, wants that. So then when you wake up, but this is how cool it is, you're going to wake up with like an epiphany, an aha moment. Oh, my gosh, and it's going to be that solution that was worked on all night long for you. That's amazing. Like multitask when you're sleeping. It's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, exactly. I'll just go to bed. I'll let you know in the morning. Then you wake up. Exactly. I've got work to do. I'm going to sleep. (laughs) You were talking about um, a young, like, talk about the younger version of yourself, the Tonka and Tutus. You want to connect with your inner eight-year-old because that, your eight-year-old self is basically your true self. Yes. So we never really grow past eight years old. And it doesn't have to, like, literally be chronologically eight, but it's around there. For some, it's six. For some, it's 11. But you get that feeling of, oh, my gosh. You know when, like, you go, wait a minute, is that my binky? You know, we all can connect to that person inside, right? Like, wait a minute. Or, like, I have a thing with people, like, I'm not the best sharer in the world of things, and so someone, like, starts to get my stuff. Like, these balls this morning, this is, like, my new thing. I'm going to post the the recipe for them, but they're my hypnotic nut balls. (laughs) I know. And so I'm like this, and my husband walks in, and he says, can I have one of those? And I thought... Consciously, yes, but subconsciously, <laughs> step away from my balls, man. So, 
anyway, that part of us is that eight-year-old that never leaves us. And that's a beautiful thing because how it can serve you today is if you imagine that you have an eight-year-old niece or child or whatever nephew around you, just imagine the different things that you'll watch, what you'll allow yourself to see and hear and feel and all those, those kinds of things. Because the inner eight-year-old, that subconscious part of us gets very nervous and scared, you know, if you scare it. And so, of course, the coronavirus and all the things going on this last year, everybody's like, yee, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. And that's exactly what it is. It's like economy, coronavirus, and, you know, joblessness, oh my, right? Yeah. And so that, that little part of us. So my, my hope for you is that you accept that you're okay just because you're scared and you feel anxious and all those things, but also soothe that part of you. Soothe that little eight-year-old. Let that little eight-year-old know within your side. So it's almost like the conscious adult, the critical thinker, is saying, it's okay. Yeah. Be okay. You're cool. Nothing's got you. You're going to be fine. Yeah. And so nurturing that part of yourself is super, super important. The book goes into it as, like you said, Tonskas and Tutus, and it's really, really important. If you get scared before an interview or something, just remember that this person is also eight. So it's like, oh, I love your eight-year-old. Do you love my eight-year-old? Are we friends? Yeah. Yeah. And I have a five-year-old daughter. I'm glad you said that, like, it's different ages because just the way she operates. And she is very, like, timid about things, and things do scare her, but she's also very opinionated and unfiltered and just says what she wants. And I think that's what you're saying, too. Like, in your subconscious state, you get what you're really meant to do, and there isn't, like, a filter of, like, what we should have or what we think should be laid out for ourselves, like, our conscious mind. And that's kind of like my daughter, too. Like, she's just going to say whatever she wants and with no filter. And that's that's your inner 8-year-old as well. Yes, you're honest. Because when we start to play well with others, we start to get PC, which is also fine, except for we start to then have an agenda, we start to strategize, we start to manage our engagements with others, it changes. And so, yes, we need to play well with others, but that's nine from nine on. So embrace the, the you that gets really, really honest. When you have confrontations or engagements with other people that feel a little sticky or, oh, this is going to be tricky. I mean, I'm not afraid of sticky. The book has give to get, which means give I want to talk the about idea that. of getting, judgment, all these things. I'm not afraid to go there because it was really my eight-year-old that wrote the book. Nothing to do with my X numbers of years on the planet, but my inner eight-year-old really wrote the book, and I'm so grateful for that. I wanted to touch on give to get. Like, you have lots of different strategies and principles that you can use, and I think as women, we always think, like, you should just give. You're not trying to get anything else. You always want to be seen as, like, being... You know, just so yeah, no, I'm not giving to get. I just want to help, and you just admit it. And give to get is like something you can use in so many different circumstances. Can you talk about that? So the world, everything that works, works on reciprocity. Everything. And please hear me. It makes me want to cry. Please hear me when I say, mothers of all, fathers who are givers, you are over giving yourself, giving out. So giving is giving to get, not to give out. Because at the end of the day, you end up with nothing. You know, it's the old story of the boy in the tree, right? And you know, take the lens, take the lens, you get left with nothing. And so, yeah, the whole idea is that reciprocity is honest. It's it's ecological. You know, you can't you can't keep an energy circuit going. Like if you and I held hands right now, we would hold hands, and if I let go and you let go, that energy just goes through you and out of me, through you and out of me. So you're giving your energy to me, and I'm just letting it go to the wayside. Same thing in reverse. You cannot do it. There is nothing beautiful, romantic, um, 
uh, let's say, ecological in any way of having any sense of agency when you, when you give and you do not receive. Men don't like it. You know, the coy, oh, nothing for me, I'm fine, I'm just going to sit here and wilt away. You know, no, no, because you know you're building up resentment. And yeah, that's what I'm going to say, because you know that. it's going to come out if you don't, right. if you feel that way for too long. Yeah. You're actively exactly. damaging the relationship every time you don't have reciprocity. So when people ask me for things, you know, like you and I are engaging in reciprocity right now, when people ask for things, there's a give and a take. We're both batting around ideas, conversation. This, this is a win-win for us. You have to do that. Then people say, well, what about uh, philanthropy and charity work and all that? There are actually two gives that you get, or two gets that you get back when you give as charitable. One is you get to feel good because that feeling is of tremendous value. Anyone who gives knows that. The second thing is even the United States government allows you to write off your philanthropic dollars, right? So even the government understands the law of reciprocity. It's just a natural thing. So I say get with it. People will respect you more. Your engagements will be clean. They'll be honest, and you'll be happier all the way around. Love it. Another one um, that stood out to me was playing big and not just accepting your role in life now because there could be something way bigger. And are you familiar with David Goggins, like the motivational? Yes. Yes. His book, when he talks about removing your governor, that's what makes you like playing big. Like the governor on a car, for anyone that doesn't know, it sets it at a certain speed. You can't go past that speed. So the car can go faster, but you can only go to a certain level and a certain speed. So in working out, like you set your governor, you assume you can only lift this much or run this fast, and you kind of learn to accept it. But it's like removing that governor and seeing something bigger than you've even seen in your life, and you can get to that when you go into trance. Exactly. And when you're working out and you're in trance, those numbers pass by, those reps keep going, and you don't even realize. You know, they call it runner's high when you're running. It's that very thing. Is once you get your brain out of the way, you know, like so many times in gyms, you'll see it written up high where maybe you're doing crunches and you're looking up and it says, you know, your brain is your limit, that kind of thing. And, you know, you're only limited by your mind, not your body. All those things in the working out world, all of that has to do with this because literally we're meant to perform. We're meant to go the long distance. We're meant to take on the haul. We're okay with it. It's literally that self-governing issue that you're, you know, saying that is absolutely, that's prohibiting you. It is not helping you. And so that's, again, tapping into that other place, that other, you know, channel on the dial. That's that place that that knows you can do it and that actually you already have done it. You know, there's a lot of um, debate and a lot of science around the fact that everything's already happened. We're just living it out slowly in the physical. So if you want to go um, uber physical and metaphysical on it and ultra physical on it, then we could say everything's already happened and we've already succeeded and we've already like gone and come back again. You know, so I mean, you can really go out there with the thought. That's how far it can go. So don't limit your reps and for God's sakes, don't limit your margaritas. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> but that's the thing. Spots of margaritas is balance. And like the, one of the last chapters of the book was like finding that healthy balance and not being obsessive and restrictive on food, but not overeating. And I thought it was so interesting uh, when you talk about, like, the one bowl. Um, you really bring a bowl with you to restaurants? I love it, yeah. I mean, now I'm good enough at it that I don't have to bring the bowl, but I do like it. And it is a conversation starter. I mean, people will be like, you know, because I have a really cool bowl. I have it in my office around the corner. But the, the bowl is uh, clay. 
it's like pottery, and so people, you know, they'll have like chopsticks or whatever, you know, I'm eating with. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, because that's one of my other little tricks is the chopstick trip, you know, so that it's, it's, um, you're enjoying as you're taking. Everybody knows it's a little bit uh, easier to eat with a fork or a spoon or a shovel or whatever you want. But to do chopsticks, you know, it's that reverent connection to that food. This morsel is feeding me. This morsel has reverence to it. And that is really, really special. So anytime you feel like you're overindulging, just grab a bowl. You'll read in the book. It explains it all. It's really a lot of fun, and people do dig it. But now I have, you know, I know what the proportions are and all that. So literally, I'll take off the plate because we are overserved, and we all know that it's in front of us. Of course, we're going to eat it, but we're overserved. So if you can split it with someone, or you can ship that, you know, so that you're not getting that amount of food, save it, take it home. I mean, so many people laugh. It was even in the news one point that somebody was making fun of me at Prime One Twelve down in Miami that I. Asked for a doggy bag for like my steak or whatever it was, and I thought, yes, I did, and I'm proud of it because I am not going to waste it, and I'm going to eat it later. (laughs) I hate wasting, but it's it's mindful eating. If you're hungry, eat. Check in with yourself. If you're just eating because it's on the plate, you're just going to feel terrible later. And I don't want to waste it, so I'll take it home and I'll I'll finish it, just not right then. Yeah, talk about like ritualizing your food intake, and I love that because. As a mom, like, there's so many times I'm eating something as I'm running out the door, and you don't sit and check in and be reverent about it and have gratitude. But when you do, that's another connection to, like, the spiritual universe is eating food. Yes, and you get full faster when you have reverence. Reverence takes up its own space. And reverence, yeah, it does. Reverence is like a... Remember meal extender? Did you ever, my parents did meal extender. It's like sawdust that you add. It's when you don't have a lot of money. You add it to like your ground meat and stuff. Oh. So it makes it like bigger. And so my parents used to use that. And so I remember thinking, I'm not going to use meal extender. I don't know what that's extended with. It literally is like um, almost like sawdust, but I'm sure it's, you know, fine. But a carb. But literally that, that reverence becomes your meal extender. It puffs up and it adds to these experience because hunger isn't always hunger. You have to search it. Yes, it is biological in most aspects when you're hungry, like you're saying, but after you're sated, it is not hunger anymore. It's something else. And one of my very um, known sayings is it's not in there. When you are just foundering, when you think, oh, I'm just going to pick up these hypnotic nutballs, I'm just going to start gobbling them down because I'm in trance watching TV or I'm in trance on my phone or I'm in trance doing something else, I'm just going to eat, 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 right? I look at this and I go, ooh, it's not in there. What is it? It depends on what that is for you today. Is it boredom? Is it um, upset at your mate? Is it I can't have? Is it I want? What is it that you're that you're trying to eat? Mm-hmm. It's not there. And when you, while we're talking, go ahead. I was going to say when you stumble towards the fridge and you open it up and you can't remember what you went in it, remember it's not in there. I it's love here. it. It's not yes. in there. Yes. While we're talking about food, um, my history – I wrote a book about how I struggled with um, bulimia and anorexia for 10 years. And now, like, trying to look at the spiritual connection, like, I think there was a part of your book that was, like, every illness or ailment that you deal with has a, a root cause. Like, anxiety means this. Is there something – I'm sure everyone's different, but, like, why? what was the subconscious connection to, like, be struggling with anorexia and bulimia? Like, is, is that – what should that tell me 
about myself during that. That would be specific to you because I get really, really, really detailed. It can be anything. Look, um, one of the most common things is is who do you admire? Oh, I, this is a scenario of how it might go. Um, so a gal comes to me and she has bulimia and anorexia, whatever. And so whatever eating issue it was, and she says, and I say, who do you admire most? And she says, mom. And then I say, how did mom eat? Oh, she had the same thing. So we mimic a lot of times. Or who did you admire? Um, some you know character on television. Oh, okay, that person mimics the same thing that that like superhero, you know, in a female form. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why it's super important. Women with children, men with children. Pay attention to what they're idolizing and what they're really looking at because this will show up later. It's our paradigm. Even eyeglasses. It's amazing. Who did you idolize? Oh, Clark Kent. Oh, my father. Um, when did you get glasses? Oh, well, my father got them at 40. So I, my eyes went at 40. You know, so we do mimic. I mean, that's what we're, that's how we learn. And that's, right. and actually the greatest, as they say, form of flattery. So, um, look for things like that. That's a super easy, quick answer, but it can be many, as you can imagine. Um, another thing that your book taught me, uh, my husband and I, like, our problem most of the time is that when I say something to him or just call his name, it's like a, he's like on the defense. And oh. in your book, I learned about, like, Pavlov's dogs, like they were taught when they hear a bell, it means food's going to come. And you just made me see myself so, that's exactly what I'm doing to him is I'm like grooming him to respond to me that way because every time I contact him during the day, it's like my son just took off his clothes and peed on the floor, this is this, and it's just negative, negative, and I don't give him anything positive. So I think you said like my ringtone is like Pavlov's dog, like when... I call him, he's like, Art, like, hello, and I'm always like, what, Why? what, what's wrong? And he's just, like, waiting for this negative thing to happen again because I've conditioned him to be that way. Yeah. yeah. That's and that's what you do. You have to retrain him now. So you ask him what's his favorite song, and you make that your ringtone. You change your name where it comes up. What does he call you on his phone? What, what does he have, like? I think it's just not me. I think it's just Aaron. Okay, so my husband in my phone because I feel like if something ever happens to me and they found my phone, like they would Oh, that's smart. Oh, that's the smart. Yeah, they're not going to know who Dave is or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what I think I'm just Aaron. That's so smart. So it's one of the things. Yeah, no, it's really smart. I mean, clearly you're a woman who thinks of everything. <laughs> that, that is you something. Yeah. <laughs> I love you for that. Okay, so what you could do is change his ringtone to his favorite song that, that relates to you. So when you're calling, that's his favorite, you know, the favorite part of his song. Like, Our you wedding know. song? Is that, that the one? Like a happy thing? Our wedding song? No, it's, it's got to be his favorite oh, song. Oh, my God. Forget about you. Yeah, you're not in this not anymore. <laughs> There's no, no, not, this one's not about you. Everything else is about you. But this one, no. His favorite song, because we're trying to retrain him. So his favorite song as your ringtone. Then what is it? Is, is there a pet name he calls you or something that you could change on his phone yeah. instead of just saying, Aaron, is there something else it could say? Yeah, and I just changed it. Yeah, so change the name because we're changing visual, we're changing audible, and then you're going to start changing what you text him and you're going to start sending him little love notes. Never about the child, never about the problems, never about, you know, the leaky faucet, nothing like that. You can retrain him in no time where when he hears that phone, he's going to grab it. He's going to go, ah, it's her, it's her, i got to answer it. That's how you retrain him. You retrain him to the positive just like you trained him to the negative. Super easy. Love it. God, I just want to sit here all day and give you all my issues. 
the looking at negative and positive just made me think of something too. Um, big, like life-defining, devastating moments. You say don't look at them as negative. You need to look at them as positive and be open to those moments. Yes, because they were going to happen with you or without you. And so in the fact, and you usually can't change them. And so if it has to do with a person or a behavior of a person, you you immediately employ, because we don't want to villainize or awfulize. We don't want to villainize anyone, and we don't want to awfulize any situation. So the first thing you do if it has to do with a person is you say they were doing the best that they could at the time with what they had and what they knew, because that's the, actually the truth of the psyche. The psyche's first prime directive is survival. Yours is, mine is, everybody's is. And so when someone lashes out or does something, that might be considered devastating to you, know that they were doing the best that they could at the time with what they had and what they knew. Even, you know, the shooting down the street two days ago, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Even the worst um, travesties against humankind can be looked at that way because what happens is it starts to clean up our image around it. I mean, I'm sure that you're self-driven and that you want to be clean in here. I know I want to be clean in here. And the best way to do that. Um, then you start to see compassion come. Then you start to see empathy come. You don't have to work on these things. This is a natural. I mean, I'm fast and easy. I wrote the book because I want everything fast and easy. I don't want to have to work so hard. I don't want to struggle, and I don't want to paddle upstream. And so the fastest way to gain um, compassion, empathy, and any kind of forgiveness for someone is let that wash over you. Let it happen to you. You don't have to work for it. I love it. Um, I yeah. wanted to talk to you about, do you, like, interpret, like, dream interpretation? I you know, have a recurring dream. Should I be paying attention to that? I would pay attention to it simply because, now, I personally don't do dream interpretations. Now, if, some, if a client that I know comes and says this and that, then I'll say, what does it mean to you? Because what it is, it's, and there's a lot of debate about dreaming in the subconscious world. So you're purely subconscious when you're out. Imagine another animal. Like, I mean, I know other, every other animal basically does it. But just imagine that you landed here on planet Earth, and you see these bipedal you know, creatures walking around, a.k.a. human beings, and then all of a sudden, at a certain time of a 24-hour period, they just, like, fall over and, like, lay prostate on the <laughs> ground. Like, that's bizarre. But we yeah. do this. Like, our, our trance is such a natural state that our body lays us down, quits working, and you know you can die if you don't sleep. So literally you can die if you don't get sleep. And certainly you won't be healthy and your body won't function because half of the day your body is supposed to be in repair for all the things that happen during the day. So imagine that. So in that stage and in that state of mind, everything is coming forward. Some people believe, and when I say some people, I mean all scientists, believe that that um, it's a trash dump for things that you no longer need because so many bits of information come to us through our senses. Um, the eyes take in millions of bits of information per second if it's available. That's why shop to drop when you go shopping. All of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, I'm so tired and my eyes are fatigued and everything. Like you feel so, you know, They're bad. Yeah. yeah, it's because your eyes have taken in so much information. But what happens is 
your brain has certain messages for you. It has certain things that it brings up for resolution. You know, a lot of times people who have experienced childhood trauma or whatever, that starts to come up, those repressed memories, so that you can deal with them. So your brain is constantly picking and choosing. It's like your personal stylist. It's your editor. It's bringing up things that you need to look at. It's, it's curating things that are ready to be resolved. And so sometimes those can appear in dreams. Now, you know, I'm a big fan of life as a loop, not a line. I don't believe that we ever really die. And so people can come in your dreams. You can smell wafts of, you know, your favorite perfume in your dreams. Things like this can happen. But there's a lot of, it's very well studied, but it's not very well understood. And you said it's basically because you're not, you're not like resenting it. Like people that are like, oh, I don't believe in that or whatever. When you're in your subconscious or trance state, you're not like blocking that out anymore. You're more open. So that's oh, yeah. what it's not your dream. Yeah. yeah, believe it or not believe it, it's science, I and mean, it's very well studied. Educate yourself if you don't believe it, because it's like me saying I don't believe in teeth, you know. <laughs> I mean, no, I was talking to my husband, I was like, after your book, like I've been telling him all about your book, he's reading it next, but I was like, somebody can come to you, some of this, um, when you transitioned, will yeah. come to you in a dream because you're not, like blocking it out, you're more yeah. Like, critical thinker. Yeah, your yeah. critical thinker goes to sleep. All kinds of magnificent things can happen. Yeah, it's just yeah. getting to that state. Um, well, but it's yeah. not even. It's really not even that hard because again, trance just happens to you. So if you just go with it, most of the fight is us going like, and there's nothing there to fight. You know, it's like, calm down, chill, take a minute, mm-hmm. sit back, let your body and your mind do what they're created to do. Let them do what they're wired to do. Get out of your own way. Because what I found is that that, and the whole impetus for the book was that that critical thinker, that conscious mind is so cranked up and the volume is so loud and the chit-chat and the clatter of everything, everything but you is so loud. So turn down the volume on that. Allow the volume to rise on that subconscious. That's your internal GPS. That tells you where the best parking spots are in the, at the supermarket. That tells you, you know, who to call, who to reach out to business-wise, who to stay away from. You know, you probably enjoyed that section in the book about who's good for you in the short-term, mid-term, and long-term. Um, that judgment of, you know, yourself and thy neighbor, I'm here to bring judgment back, let me tell you, because it's for your ecology. Your sense of agency knows who's good for you now and who's not. And I did it. When you were saying it, like the inner positive, outer negative, or like categorizing, <laughs> I was just thinking, I was, I, I guess, I didn't have to be in trance state to do that. Right? Like, you, I was just, when you would ask, yeah. I would see somebody, and I would have the answer, and... I didn't yeah. have to be in a trance state to classify people in my no. life, so it's pretty obvious to me, like, who should be, who's playing a positive role and who isn't. Um, yeah. I I was wondering, like, when I always go into tr- that trance state, I always equate it with driving. Like, why can I get there when I'm driving? How am I not thinking about anything when I'm driving, but every any other point in my life, my mind is, like, full and I can't just zone out like that. Like, I have a responsibility driving a car, but that is what I do it. <laughs> <laughs> Operating heavy machinery. No, I know, but it's funny that it all does it. In fact, when I moved to Seattle, this is the funniest thing. So I moved from sunny, bright Orange County to Seattle, and you know about the weather. And so I was most surprised. I didn't get it at first. It took a minute. But I was most surprised at how slow everybody drove on the freeway. And I asked some friends, I said, why does everybody drive so slow? And then it, it occurred to me, the metronomic beat of the wipers, Oh, tramp. 
it's like a metronomic exactly exactly that's the whole idea is that it's a lull it lulls you into trance and so that drive yes because you're on automatic pilot you know same thing with with anything that has you moving you know you know you're a mom you put the kids in the back of the car when you're crying and whatever you take a drive and it lulls them to sleep I mean it's beautiful for that you're floating you know you have minimal effort and yes and it just shows you how strong your subconscious is because yes you can operate a motor vehicle while you're not really consciously paying attention so yes that's you know that's how it works and then you know we use that same trance state with periphery because obviously when you're driving your periphery is engaged you're seeing things left and right to get your attention but we use that to lull us to sleep lull yourself back to sleep if you've woken up in the night that's a good little trick but it's all in the book and it's exciting because it's all there you know the book is a manual to use your machine you already have it all I want to talk to you about sleepwalking my daughter when she's five now she was three we woke up one morning and she was gone like she wasn't in the house and, yo, know, like, I, I was the worst day of my life. A good 15 minutes. Like, we went in every room. She's nowhere. And then something made me think, like, the night before, we were at our neighbor's. But we all have, like, a few acres. A, a neighbor, two down, is half quarter of a mile, I'd say, away. So it, we had looked everywhere, and something just told me to go check there. Maybe my subconscious. <laughs> and I yeah, ran yeah. up, and my friend is running out, and she's like, I have her. And I'm just looking. My daughter was at three, the, the most timid, scared of everything. If I said go down to the neighbors, absolutely not. She would never do that consciously. I know she wouldn't. She wouldn't. So she didn't really know. She was just kind of like they saw her on um, their security cameras. that like woke them up, and she's just standing there and just kind of like looking around. And I was like, she's not even – she's out of it. Like she's, But she's never slept walk before. And mm-hmm. I still don't know what happened that day. And I was like, I'm going to talk to Kimberly. <laughs> like, and she hasn't done it since, I take no, it. No, she never did. And she didn't, like, know how she got there. But she left the house, walked to the neighbors, and then when you can see on the camera, she's just kind of, like, looking around. She doesn't know. She knew she got there. Her body, like, she knew how to get there. But she would <laughs> never have done that away, ever, because she's afraid of everything. And she yeah. ended up at the neighbors with no – she was just kind of like, I don't know. Well, that's that. Actually- See, I would explore that. Was that was that when she was three? Yeah, three years old. Wow, and a three-year-old. Yeah. I mean, she's been, like, reaching the doorknobs, getting out of the Yeah, well, she's, she's, like, the size of a five-year-old. Like, my husband and I are oh, tall. Okay. So, but she would never, she's so cautious. She would never do it. And it was it, it was light. Like, it was morning, like, 8 o'clock in the morning. So it was light out. And she just, and then she was, like, she said she thought I was down there. Like, she's made comments. Like, my husband's, like, she had a dream. And she thought you were there, and she believed it, and she sure. went. But sure. I don't think she was caught, like conscious, or she would not have walked there consciously. So yeah. sleepwalking, how like talk about that? Yeah, I, I well, she was conscious enough. She was she was conscious enough to be able to get up, but not but not conscious. That's two different things. So conscious enough, but not conscious. Um, it shows you the power of the subconscious when literally what you see is what you believe. We find that, too, with, like, late bedwetters. It's the same kind of a thing where everything is so real to them that they literally just physicalize it. Because usually late bedwetters, this is always kind of an interesting topic for folks, uh, parents in, in particular, 
is that they they sense that they're really getting up and going. The sensation to the child is that I'm really getting up and I'm really going and there really is a you know potty under there and all this kind of thing and I'm in I'm in the bathroom and then they go and they realize that they're not of course when they tinkle and it wakes them up. Wow. But something like that, she was able to physicalize a, a vision that was so real to her that she literally needed to go and find you. Is that what she said that she thought you were there? Yeah. I mean but she my husband, well, he can't get over it. He, like, he always, not that he should, but he always talks to her about it, and she said she was looking for me. So, it, it, like, it's oh, kind of like you just said with the bathroom. Like, she, she believed I was there, so she went there, but it was almost like when my friend, she, like, appeared and was like, hey, she kind of came out of it and then was just, but I, I, the fact that we have the footage on the cameras and she's just, you can tell she is not aware. She doesn't know where she is. She got there. But, like, her yeah. body walked there, but she was not conscious. You couldn't, she never would have done it if she was conscious because she was so, like, trepidatious about everything. But then she kind of snapped out of it. By the time I got there, she was just like, hey, and playing with my son and my friend's son. And I'm just like, I didn't even, I was, like, in shock. that I And I there was no explanation for it except she'd never slept off before. And I, that's just so crazy. Yeah, that shows how yeah. strong your subconscious. I mean, she believed I was there. She went, and she wasn't even awake. Put her in her tennis shoes before she goes to sleep. <laughs> I need like a bell or something. <laughs> or a beacon by beacon in her jammies, right? Okay. I mean, that's, that's a wild, wild, wild story. So, yeah. And, and a couple and more things. I know I don't have you for that much longer. Um, yeah. I thought it was so crazy. When you're talking about people that are in our lives that can kind of affect us, when friends are in a drought, you call it a drought, and they're just kind of like in a bad place, it can be contagious. And someone that's trying to pull them out as a good friend it's almost like when someone's drowning and you try to save them and then they, you drown because they're putting yeah. you down too. And you said you just kind of let them bring themselves out. Like, I wanted you to talk more about that. I love yes. that. Yes. So when you are the light and you really inhabit the light for someone who's in a state of darkness or lack or what I call drought, any kind of form of depression or just down, it can be anything from passing drought to lingering drought to habitual drought. Those are the three types that I identify. And passing drought is, you know, bad hair day, can't get your – your system working good on Instagram, whatever, you know, that's small stuff. And then lingering is, you know, you've had a death in the family or you have a sick child or something happens with your work, all of that. Habitual drought, we all know the doubting Debbies and all that. And we know the ones that, you know, always feel like, oh, my gosh, I I don't want to tell her this or I don't want to do that because, you know, she's just going to make me feel like a bummer about it, right? So those are the ones we really have to watch. You know, we all know that negative feelings are contagious. And it is a serious thing because when you see your loved one or your friends or colleagues going through it, it's it's sad, anywhere from sad, you know, or disturbing at passing drought to annoying at habitual drought. And so the way to get people out, of course, is to be the light. Show them the fun that you're having. Look over here. Look over here, you know, as opposed to going in to join them because they will bring you in and you won't like yourself for it. The whole point, and this is the most selfish self-help book you'll ever buy because it's about you. It's not about your neighbor, your kids, your husband, your colleagues. It's not about anybody but you. And the purpose of this is to keep yourself buoyant because just like you said, someone clamoring for, you know, life and light and sunshine is going to grab you and they're going to bring you in with them. It's just a, it's a magnetic pull of negativity. It's just a, a fact. It's a universal law. And so the brighter you shine and the more you show them where to come to, because nobody loves it. You know, they know they're stuck. Like you might think, oh, my Aunt Sue, she complains and bitches and moans all the time and she doesn't know. She knows. She knows. 
She just yeah. doesn't know how to get out of it. And so instead yeah. of addressing it like that, you show them. Just like instead of having the conversation with your husband about, you know, why why do you always feel like, oh, you know, when my name and the ringtone comes up, you instead are going to flip it and you're going to change it and you're going to show them a different way, right? So we like to show with action rather than with our words. Yes. Um, and then the last part, like right at the end of the book, and he said you put it at the end so people can kind of get in touch with their spirituality before you go there. But um, like you said, life is a loop. It's not a line. And yes. you believe we can still stay in touch with people that have transitioned. And you told a story about the heart thing from your friend. And I thought that was so how your friend came to you. Was it in a dream? Goosebumps. Yeah. No, no, I was talking to a psychic lady. You know, people think I'm a psychic and a medium. I'm a hypnotherapist. I don't even know what I'm having for lunch today, so I certainly don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, and I don't claim to. I have a lot of intuition. I've developed it only through the subconscious. You know, I'm, I'm very scientific and art-based. I like to combine the two, but um, it's not a woo-woo thing whatsoever, the subconscious. Study it, look at it. It's, it's pure science. But what happens with um, with life as a loop, I had a, I was talking to a psychic woman because I like to talk to psychics. I like to talk to healers. I like to talk to mediums. I like to do all of that. Um, I find it tremendously helpful. And if, if they're not, if we're not vibing, then I consider it um, entertaining. If, if we are vibing, I consider it very helpful. So she says to me, I asked her about my friend. She passed away suddenly. And when this happened, I, um, I was shocked. I called her to wish her a happy Mother's Day, in fact. And she had passed away that morning, and I knew nothing about the suddenness of any of this happening for her. So I needed answers so that I could feel better in my heart, and I could just try to get some kind of um, settled feeling about it. And so when I was talking to a woman, she was saying, you know, oh, yes, this happened and that happened, you know, and it was sudden and da-da-da. She hit all the markers, you know, where you just think, oh, my gosh, that's right, that's right, that's right. And then she said, um, we're just getting ready to hang up. The session's ending. And she says, oh, by the way, she wants you to have your heart checked. And I thought, well, now I don't believe you because my heart's perfect. I'm the most healthy person I know. Right, right. Well, and also, I had um, back in my modeling days, you know, they they had a and I. It's funny because I don't know what you know that many years ago has to do with now, but there's a machine where you know they look at your heart and they they do the like the gel and they Mm -hmm. look at it to, to see it. I guess like a some kind of a sonogram or whatever. And I was the model for one of those companies where they were using it to show people they want it, you know, they want the girl, like, oh, yeah, they want the girl in the bathing suit top and all that. So they put the probe there, and the reason I got chosen for it was because I had what they called a glass heart, which means there was no fat or cholesterol or anything going on, and it was perfectly clear. And so carrying that forward, you know, I thought, my heart? How could it be? So I ran to UCLA. I'm on the health system board there. And I ran to them, and I said, look at my heart, look at my heart, set me up with cardiology. And sure enough, they did, and they found, like, this little cyst on the pericardial sac. And, I mean, so first they didn't think, they said, oh, it's probably a shadow. From I go, no, 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 chase it, let's look. It, it amounts to nothing. And there's about 100,000 people, I think, in the United States that have it. But here's the thing with that is the more you search, the more you'll find, right? Now we have all these machines that can see so much. I mean, there's cysts in each of us everywhere. But it was very interesting to know 
once they said it was fine and not a big deal, we'll just, you know, measure it each year, make sure it stays where it is and all that. But when I looked at it, it looked to me like a little angel with wings. Oh, covered my gosh. With I said, look, it's hiding from your fancy machines. You know, and they're doing this, and they're, like, explaining to me, oh, there it is. And I said, doesn't it look like an angel tucking your head down and her wings like this? I said, it's the beacon for when they come pick me up later. And we were laughing and all this stuff, and they said, what would make you come and get your heart checked, like, of all that? you hit all the healthy markers and all this and I said my friend I said I got like this thing through a psychic and I mean the doctors imagine it you feel like <laughs> but it was there it was there and then it makes you think, like just be open like what other things are people that have transitioned trying to tell you and it, I mean it makes me want to be more open to it and because my mind is so muddled all the time I would feel like it would happen in a dream like I would just when I'm Totally in trance, or I guess when I'm driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Either or. That's they're going to like come and take my license. Like, ma'am, you drive in trance, we're going to be right. right. Like, that's going to be a new thing on the ticket is to be trance driving, right? But as soon as, as, soon as like a car stops in front of me and I, I'll stop and I, I'm back. It, like, yeah, oh yeah. So, so it doesn't have anything to do with function. Yeah, it actually doesn't have anything to do with function. I think it might function better because you're in peripheral vision. What I was going to say about this story about my heart real quick yeah. was yeah. that um, it told me more that, you know, when you said it was there, it told me more that she was there. Yeah. It told me more that, that she still had, like, this um, this uh, place in my world, that because she was gone in the physical on that transition had happened in the physical, I didn't have to be without her. So I will be talking to her later to tell her that I am sorry for <laughs> blurting out her name. Listen, all these people that were live saw it. When this airs, I can totally take that out. Um, what would you say to somebody, like, I'm sure there's anybody watching this, you have somebody that is gone and that you want to reconnect with. Like, how can they be connected to that or what's your, like, tips to that? Yeah, just ask. It's the most beautiful thing. And you can ask for, there's this great documentary out now, and it's like, I think, six, seven, eight series uh, episode that's um, called Surviving Death. And watch that because it's really fascinating. A lot of doctors, you know, when they have these near-death experiences, or actually theirs aren't near-death, theirs are death experiences, right. and then come back. One gal was, like, underwater for 30 minutes, and she literally died, and she's a doctor. I mean, these stories are fascinating, and it will change the way. It will crack open that egg a little bit for you to look at things differently if you're staunch set against um, life after death. I encourage people to look at it because the story that I cite in my book about Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali, that was kind of, you know, that I wasn't looking to have any kind of, you know, yay from Mike Tyson. I was actually looking for a big yay from Muhammad who had passed on already. And it never to, like, care about someone who was living in present as much as it did about the spirit world because you can feel it and you can ask for these signs, you know, show me a pink giraffe walking down the middle of a street. You know, of course, you're not going to see a real one, you know, unless you're in maybe Africa. <laughs> but that you'll see something to do with that having, you know, that imagery or something to do with that with um, your loved ones sending you these messages and signals. Apparently, they're very, very close. And apparently it's, you know, I feel them all the time, but I also expect to. So I think that's part of it. I love that. Yes, expecting to and not being like hesitant about it, just being open to it. Um, it just gives you like comfort that that person is still. You can still connect with them spiritually. Uh, it gives yeah. you comfort. Animals as well. Oh, pets. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. No, because all kinds of things. I have this beautiful um, humidifier, mister thing, um, atomizer in my office, and there was something that happened one evening when one of my pets had died, my beloved Pearl. At Pearl, I call her 1.0 because she's back in 2.0 form now. Except <laughs> <laughs> okay, 1.0, I lost. But, yeah, and so every now and then that will start playing just random out of the blue, and I always go, hi, Pearl. You know, it's in my office, and it's just neat. You know, you can feel better about it. The whole idea, and especially about the book, is to feel better, to feel good, to get get on with it already. Live your beautiful, wonderful life. That's what we're here for. Kimberly Friedmutter with all of the insight into tapping into your subconscious and living a life bigger than you even dreamed. The book is Subconscious Power. Use your inner mind to create the life you've always wanted. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't subscribed to Squats and Margaritas, now brought to you by Flow Alkaline Water. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Podcast One. Please, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas.